I'd like to take us out to a moment of silence here. A moment of silence for all the thousands of people that have died. 2,224 people. And I think that's just a small number. Record, I bet you there's hundreds more that we don't know about. But if you have any dedications, now's a good time to say them out loud, as loud as you can. To the people that you know that we've lost that aren't here, they're here with us always. Bandu, you're a member forever. This moment of silence goes out for the ones we mentioned and the ones we haven't. All my relations. Thank you very much. I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 29. Resign. I want to tell you the story of Wednesday. Specifically, Wednesday, February the 9th. Although, right now while I'm recording it, it's Thursday and you won't hear this until sometime next week. Whatever. There's two pretty dramatic things that happened on Wednesday, February the 9th. Something the government did and something that we did. And these two events that happened at almost the same time tell you everything about the difference between how they see the world and how we do. To help me tell the story, I'm joined by Crackdown senior producer Sam Fenn. Hey, Garth. Hey, Sam. So I guess you could say that we were having kind of a normal, like a normal production uh, process last week, right? And we didn't, we didn't think at all that we were going to make the episode we're making right now. That's right. Yeah. In in British Columbia, since the the official declaration that we're in an overdose. Uh, fatality emergency, like a public health emergency. Since that declaration in April of 2016, they have these reports that come out on the coroner's website every month. Figure two highlights the dramatic impact of the toxic illicit drug market on public safety in BC. With deaths due to drug toxicity far surpassing the number of deaths due to suicide, motor vehicle collisions, homicide, and prescription drug deaths combined. And they get worse and worse and worse. And so we've seen something like 60 of these months go by. The province's chief coroner says it's the most overdose deaths BC has ever seen in that time frame. But last week, um, you know, I was part of an email thread of a, a bunch of organizers, and we heard that the coroner's statistics uh, for overdose deaths in British Columbia, we're going to come out uh, this week, but then we're having this look back over the last year and we just heard it's going to be worse. It's going to break all the records. And there was something breaking inside of the activists on this email thread. Like we got to do something. We can't just let another sort of news day where some terrible numbers are rolled out and everybody sort of wrings their hands. We just can't let that happen. That was people from, you know, the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, 
BC Association of People on Methadone and the Drug User Liberation Front. And we're all kind of part of each other's organization. So this is kind of like a crew of activists who've been around for a while. So the discussion starts up, uh, what should we do? We're all fighting for safe supply. Let's just give away uh, tested drugs to the members of these groups. Like, let's make that distribution, that safe supply. Let's let's do that on the day. So as you're organizing that, you know, I'm I'm off doing my own thing. I'm 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 still not thinking we're going to do any episode about this or anything. But then for the first time, we all learn what the number the numbers actually are. It's going to be two thousand two hundred and twenty four dead in British Columbia in the year 2021. Over 25% increase. This wasn't just like a little bit worse than last year. And we should say last year was terrible. 1,765 deaths. Last year was as bad as we could have imagined. And and Garth, I'm just curious what you, like how you started to, to come to terms with just the magnitude of that number. It's really hard, you know, because um, I always know some of the people in that number. Like I don't know most of the 2,000 people, but I might know a dozen. And one of the first ones that came to mind because he did um, die early on in 2021 was Ron Kulke. And he was an activist around Vandu. I know him for uh, several years. And uh, he, he introduced the world to Crackdown. The very first time we played a rough mix of an episode anywhere outside of our own headphones it was to a meeting of listeners that he convened. Now our first guest up is uh, Mr. Mullen. Come on forward. Gentlemen is going to explain a little bit about what we're doing with. I'm sorry, I'm not aware of all the technology used on what's what's the podcast? Podcast. Podcast. Ron, he's like a housing activist at every moment helping people in big struggles and small struggles he had a little cat called Lindsay Lopaw um you know who's who's still around and being looked after by the way and um he used to call me like as a little joke for ages he called me Dr. Mullins you know I guess because he was like razzing me for being a know-it-all or some shit you know so he'd be just like Dr. Mullins hello and I don't know I just kind of I kind of hear the voice. I can't do it. But he was just like this larger than life guy. And he's just gone. And we just never thought him. You know, he wasn't even really an opioid user. That's when I was like, we we just have to talk about this. Like this, like we have to get the government on the show. We have to ask them about it. Like this is what we have to, we have to put something out fast about this is basically what I thought. The first person we asked was um, Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, Sheila Malcolmson. And we went back and forth for a while. Um, and we asked uh, Chief Coroner uh, Lisa LaPointe. Eventually, we also asked uh, the Minister of Health, Adrian Dix. Uh, eventually, after after lots of back and forth, uh, Minister Malcolmson denied our request, said she was too busy. Not just too busy right now, but too busy for months. <laughs> you know, like forever. Yeah. <laughs> The thing that's so frustrating and weird about this is that when we first started making the show, and even in my journalism before I started working at Crackdown, like it wasn't this hard at all to get an interview with 
um, with a minister of health. I've, I've interviewed Adrian Dix before. It wasn't hard. Um, and so it definitely felt like, like, why is it, why is it hard now? Like what, like this should be when they're most available. So the next day on Wednesday, um, that's the day that the Drug User Liberation Front and the BC Association of People on uh, Opiate Maintenance, two groups that you're a part of, Garth, um, put out a pre- an- another press release. And now the sort of like demands are starting to coalesce within the drug user movement. And if, if it's okay with you, I just want to read a quote from you that's in that press release. So you said, we have a message for the government of BC. The coroner's body count is your report card and you get an F. We have lost confidence in you to deliver us from this apocalypse, so we are looking to our own ranks of activists for safe supply. We are breaking the law to try to keep each other safe, and we're calling on the BC Minister of Mental Health and Addictions and the Minister of Health to resign. Um, I want to I wanna first focus on that last part uh, about the calls to resign. Can you explain to me why it was important to you and the other um, drug user activists that these two ministers step down over over these numbers. Like in what other job can you have this much death and there's not someone fired or resigns or heads roll or something? You know, it's just like just on a very gut level. You know, it's just like there has to be consequences. You can't just shake each other's hand and congratulate each other and say, oh, what a good job. Oh, we're trying as hard as we can. Oh, our hearts are heavy. They say our hearts are heavy as if they are spectators to this thing. You know, as if they're off to the side watching a force of nature and saying, oh, this is a real, oh, this is a terrible hurricane. I wish we could do something about it. But it's actually, they're all policy deaths, right? They're all preventable. They could all be stopped by changes in policy. And the people who control those policies are the ministers. So if not the ministers, who, you know? And so um, I think our audience will permit us to just get a little bit inside baseball for a second here. Garth, can you explain why, if we have a minister of mental health and addictions, you would also be calling for the minister of health to resign? Isn't this isn't this uh, minister Sheila Malcolmson, who who um, is the minister of mental health and addictions? Isn't this her portfolio? I mean, tell me a situation um, where the solutions are trapped in bureaucracy and the suggestion comes, well, let's make another bureaucracy. And everybody says, well, that's going to work because that's what happened here, right? So um, when this government came to power in 2017, they said, we're going to make a separate ministry, not not the not the Ministry of Health. We're going to make a Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions. And people across Canada, including the federal government, have now copied this idea. But what do they actually do? You know, we've learned through direct experience, through sitting on committees, through lobbying them, through meeting with some of these people, that they actually don't have much of a budget. They don't have much power. So in the end, they are acting as sort of like a fig leaf to, to be out in front of the higher power politicians who might be running the Ministry of Health or something else. They're like a lightning rod. So when we, uh, you know, when we build up enough of an electric charge, they can just divert it so that the, um, you know, the more senior cabinet ministers never feel the effects of it. We're calling for the resignation of the minister who they've put out as a symbol, who they've put out as this uh, go-to person, as well as the minister who's really in charge. And by the way, the minister of public safety should go to, and really, shouldn't the premier, I mean, shouldn't the top guy in the province 
under whose leadership thousands and thousands have died now. I mean, shouldn't there be consequences? Right. So so while all this mess is happening, I realize that Minister Sheila Malcolmson of the mental Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions, that she's going to have a press conference and that I'll be able to call in and ask a question, which is like, nobody nobody has been willing to talk to us. And so I start to think, well, this is the only way, right? This is our only chance to actually get the government to like say something to us. Um, and so I decided, well, I'm going to go for it, right? So... So we're on Slack, right? Trying to we're 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 crafting the question, and at the same time, of course, everyone is preparing for the drug giveaway, the action at Van Du, which is going to be happening almost at the same time as these press conferences. So there's, you know, um, our friends Jeremy and Eris from uh, from the Drug User Liberation Front, who are probably, I mean, they spent four hours weighing out all the points. Uh, to give away of of coke, heroin, and meth. Uh, Laura was on her way to her pharmacy to drink her uh, methadone and then get down to Vandu to do some interviews. Uh, you know, I was uh, calling and emailing around. I was throwing my microphone and everything in my backpack so that I could get down there and start taping what was going on. Uh, and, and at the same time, there's all those notifications on Slack are going, as we're all going back and forth about... What question are we going to ask and what are people saying in these press conferences? Yeah. And the questions that we settle on were that the drug user movement is calling for you to resign. Will you resign? And then I was told I'd get a follow up. So we decided the follow up should be if you're not going to resign with with this number, what what number would it take for you to resign? And um, and we thought those were good questions. And because I was thinking of. You know, here we are in February of um, 2022. What happens when we're in February of 2023 and they're announcing the statistics then? Is it going to be over 3,000? You know, like at what at what point does a minister say, wow, I've really fucked this up? And, and you know, so it, it does sound on the one hand like a little bit of a pushy rhetorical question, but I really mean it. Like what what is the number that's that's a tipping point for all you guys? And then the press conference starts. So um, I was really taken aback at the beginning at how short the point of, you know, the amount of time that Minister Malcolmson spent sort of talking about how tragic and bad this was and how quickly things pivoted to, quite frankly, like just bragging, you know, like, um, and uh, Garth, I'm going to play a clip I grabbed from that just to sort of give people a sense of what we're talking about here. We're making historic investments in mental health and addiction supports across the full spectrum of treatment and recovery. British Columbia is tackling this crisis from all angles. Our government is making historic investments and systemic changes to our healthcare system to build that comprehensive system of mental health and addiction support for British Columbia, one that did not exist before. Never have so many people worked so hard and stood up so many supports. Never have so many people worked so hard. Right. <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, it's just like, it's like this sort of sense of pride. You know, they're like, we're really doing a great job. It's like, it's like we're, we're, I am living on a different planet than those people are. Cause, cause, you know, while she's saying that, um, 
you know, I'm on, I, I'm on probably the 800 block of East Hastings and I'm checking whether this dude is okay. You know, I'm like, Hey buddy, are you, are you okay? You know, like you're, that's the first step of, of, uh, of, um, responding to an overdose is you try to make sure if, if the person's like there, you know, it's just like, they don't, they don't, they don't live in the same way. <laughs> they don't live in the same world we do. Yeah. I mean, like, I guess like y- you expect a little bit of ass covering, right? And these sorts of things. But I was just surprised at how quickly we got to the ass covering. You know, at this po- at this point, it's, it's not it's not like that shocking. It's just a little. But but who has the audacity to give you a campaign stump speech at a funeral? Yeah, you know, I that's mean, what it felt like. Maybe it maybe another day, right? But but today, today when we're all just learning two thousand two hundred and twenty four people that we know and care about have left the world forever we pivot right away to what is a politician's speech like that we're doing a good job like a political speech right and and these numbers were held back to give the government people time to write the stump speech right so so this important public health information was embargoed for this purpose so that they could get their fucking story straight yeah the cornerstone of of what Malcolmson wanted to brag about in this press conference was uh, what's called the risk mitigation guidelines, um, more frequently by government called safe supply. Um, uh, and this and uh, could you say a little bit about what this was and and how it's been going so far? Sure. Um, I- I was one of many people who co-authored what became called the risk mitigation guidelines back in March of 2020. Uh, The pandemic was just starting. People didn't know how bad it was. Uh, And this fear kind of rippled through uh, public health types that um, as everybody goes home and isolates and the world shuts down, who's still out on the street? Drug users. We're still out there scoring and we're still going to be out there spreading COVID because we uh, keep (laughs) going out to score drugs. So the thought was, well, if there's anything lying around, maybe we should prescribe it to people so that they could stay at home. Uh, And so this made some provisions for prescribing Dexedrine, Dilaudid, and some benzos. So uh, it, it was a very quickly put together document that was passed by government quite quickly and not really implemented. Um, so far, everybody would agree the uh, this program has um, failed to reach but only a tiny fraction of the drug users in British Columbia. One of the major problems acknowledged by the province uh, has been that doctors don't want to do this. They don't want to give um, drugs to people uh, unless they can think of it as treatment. Um, and that's a good pivot to the, the sort of the next thing that that caught my attention from the press conference, which is that we were introduced at this press conference. Like we, like I'm a drug policy nerd, right? But uh, but this was the first time I got to um, meet a new person, Doctor. Ramnik Desange um, from a group called Doctors of BC. Have you have you ever heard of Doctor Desange before this? I haven't heard of the organization or the person. And and inexplicably, the, the um the, the this is a person who's going to be responding to questions about this. Um, so Garth, why don't you throw on the next clip there that we got, and we can hear a little bit of what Doctor Desange had to add to the conversation about the all, all right. this overdose death. Let's listen. As an initial step. 
BC doctors support the effort to separate people from the illicit toxic drug supply. The government's program of prescribed safer supply is a rational option. Options are always good. So uh, I guess she's saying a nice version of this is a option of last resort. I don't mind telling you that as a doctor, it's not an easy decision to prescribe a narcotic, even if it is regulated. There can be all kinds of ramifications for the patient and for the prescriber. Doctors will look at all extenuating circumstances before deciding on this approach. Um, you know, the difficulty is that there's 100,000 people in British Columbia that the province admits, you know, like me, that use opioids every day that are wired. And um, you, need, you need a mass strategy there. And the biggest risk is death from overdose, right? So the, the doctors are worried about these other kind of risks, I guess. And maybe that's their job. But off of their radar is this biggest problem, which is what is what this podcast is reckoning with constantly, which is death. You know, and so um, the doctors are, are, are speaking for their own practice or their college or whatever. And, and that leaves us and Vandu speaking for the not yet dead and the already dead. Yeah. Um, one of the other things that caught my ear was the very first thing that she said was as an initial step. Um, and, and that implies to me that this is still being like seen through a kind of a treatment prism, right? It's like, okay, maybe it's, we'll, it's like, you know, this can be the first thing we do, but eventually we're going to, we're going to get you off these drugs. That's our job. I, um, I think if you, if you listen to where we introduced this um, concept, I think it was episode 15 apocalypse prescribing it's called. Um, you know, when this was a couple of years ago when we put this episode out and we explained what this is all about. And one of the things that me and Guy, Felicella, and other people who were co-authors of this policy really, really fought for is that it's not, it's not treatment. As in, they're not trying to change your behavior um, through prescribing to you. They're not trying to get you to go abstinent or lower your dose or whatever. All the goal is, is to replace the toxic thing with the pharmaceutical thing like that's it right and so that goal that is so important to us um was never bought into by the doctors you could write it on a piece of paper but it's a whole other thing to convince somebody who's been trained their whole career to not think of it that way safe supply is a drug user demand it's been around for a long time and there's always been opposition to it but sometimes the opposition is the quiet form where you're just trying to – you're a government and you're watering down the meaning of it. You're just trying to dilute and sort of shift it back over into a treatment model. And then mercifully, uh, the the presentation part ends and we do get to the, the part where they start accepting questions. So the first question um, – the first question comes in and uh, – and it goes to the CBC and then, you know, the next one uh, comes in and it goes to the CTV. We're kind of breezing through this. It's been sort of a quick um, press conference, you know, um, as far as these things go. Uh, then the next one comes in and and that one goes to um, to one, one of our friends, Andrea Wu at the Globe and Mail. And uh, I want to play this one because I think this is this is the one of the stronger questions and responses that that we heard in this period 
Andrea Wu was the first reporter for a big outlet that partnered with us on the Methodos story. Um, people may remember this was our second episode. And, um, you know, as we did more research into that year, um, Andrea um, published uh, along with us some of our findings. And, and so we uh, definitely have a warm place in our hearts for <laughs> reporters that hear what we're saying. Uh, so here's her question. With more than 2,200 British Columbians dead last year, nearly 10,000 since 2016, I'm curious why, in your opinion, we have not seen a coordinated province-wide emergency response proportionate to the magnitude of this death toll? The work that we are doing... Andrea asked the question, and then there's this little... Who says it? It's like, oh. That's Malcolmson. Oh, like, Andrea just wrecked the party. Yeah. We were all having such a good time. The work that we are doing province-wide to respond to the first public health emergency declared in 2016 and, and now COVID has absolutely stretched the healthcare system that when we formed government in 2017, that there was not a system of care for mental health and addictions, no continuum of care. Um, it has meant that we are building a system and fighting two health emergencies at the same time. Um, but I'll say, notwithstanding that clearly this isn't enough because we are still losing so many lives, uh, public safety is working very hard on the criminal justice aspects of this. Uh, pursuing drug dealers and drug trafficking um, with, a, um, with, with serious focus. We are coordinating our response, but I'll you know, say again that, that fighting an overdose emergency, fighting a public health emergency and building a system of care at the same time um, just means we have, we have double the work and it's more important and urgent than ever. You know, I've been going to a methadone clinic for 20 years, so there's been elements of a response system around for a long time it's like have they reformed and improved and expanded these things not really and also there was no covid vaccine system here two years ago and they rolled out a massive get five million people vaccinated inside of one year system and they did it so if there's an emergency you can build a system fast right like, if there's a wildfire, you don't say, well, there were no water bombers here when the fire broke out. So what can we do? You have an emergency response. You fly in water bombers fast, you know? Yeah, unfortunately for Minister Malcolmson, we have a contemporaneous example uh, to show us what it looks like when they care about something. Um, yeah. And it doesn't look like this, right? So yeah. it is interesting that she says we're really going after the dealers. You know, we're going after the criminal justice aspect of it. That is very consistent in this province going all the way back to 1908. August of 1908 was the very first arrest for opium here in British Columbia. And police have been chasing dealers uh, ever since then. And they've been helping to drive us going from opium to morphine to heroin to shooting heroin to stronger China white heroin to fentanyl to car fentanyl to benzo dope. So the more you chase the dealers, the more you incentivize people to find something that's smaller and stronger. So I'm I'm listening to this answer going like, okay, I get, we're probably going to be next. Uh, and then something happens that I hadn't even considered. Thank you very much, everybody. That concludes today's availability. Thank you for being here. And, and thank you so much uh, to our 
our partners, uh, Dr. Dessage and Michael Sandler, thanks for being here. Um, all the best. Keep safe. They end the press conference. And so you never got to ask your question. No, I'm sitting there thinking, what happened? Has this been going on for a long time? No. The whole press conference was about 43 minutes. It's not that long for one of these things. It'd been, it'd been under 30 minutes for the question period. Only five people had asked the question. Yeah, so it's like for, for every other day of the week, the, I mean, the, the Globe and Mail and the CBC are the big players, right? But this is the one press conference, the one day of the week or the day of the month or day of the year where we're actually the people who know what the fuck is going on more than anybody else. This is our beat, right? Like We know this shit. It felt to me like, let's get out of here quick, you know? Mm-hmm. So luckily for you, Garth, you were... Um, you were up to something more interesting than me right around that time. So so can you tell me about what you did yesterday afternoon? Yeah, I mean, after all of the meetings and the organizing, we had the action. So I went down uh, to Vandu sort of as that press conference was wrapping up, as, uh, <laughs> as you were getting left without your question asked, Sam. And, um, you know, I met up with... Uh, a bunch of the people who are on the board of the BC Association of People on Opioid Maintenance and the Crackdown Editorial Board, and we started setting up for the action. So that meant um, there were a few uh, journalists around, a couple of cameras. We were welcoming them in. Um, Brian, who is our kind of sergeant at arms, he was taking a list of people who were uh, signing up to kind of come to the meeting and receive the uh, the tested drugs afterwards. Roll call. Roll call. Do you want the uh, mic? It's not on the list. I'm not adding anybody more. So please don't come ask me to get on the list. So everybody was setting up. Jeremy and Eris came in with all the little boxes containing the drugs. Um, and we started the meeting. And the meeting starts with the territorial acknowledgement, a bit of a mission statement about what our group is here for. And then we heard from Raya Jean, who, uh, you know, told us about what this action was, how it was symbolic of what was possible in the future. This is an example of a person-centered care model where you have a direct impact, a direct say on the drugs that are going into your body, on what you're allowed to consume, right? You get to choose. You get to be a participant. Right? So this is a way to show the government that there are other ways to do this. There are better ways to do this. That's what we're doing, folks. Uh, then we heard from Laura Shaver. Uh, she got up on the mic and, you know, Laura's really like um, it's a very special person to me. Uh, she's one of the first um, activists that I got to really know well. She showed me how to talk like this, you know, like talk without shame about um, these aspects of our lives. And she got up and, and the house was silent as she spoke. You know, this we were, we were crowded in there, but it was still COVID safe. Everyone had masks, but everyone was quiet when Laura was speaking. And this number, this, it's not numbers. My name's Laura. Cherise was Cherise. Aiden was Aiden. Tracy was Tracy. I'm tired of numbers. We're not numbers. We are people. We bleed bread. The same as anybody else. And the thing is, is that we are still dying, which means now there's not an if for me. It's a when. So when am I going to die? Um, 
it's a that's a pretty hard clip to hear. Uh, you know, like I do, I do worry about, I do worry about all of us dying. I do worry about Laura dying. Um, I I responded to an overdose once where I did think that Laura had died. At the beginning of her comments, Laura named a bunch of names that aren't there anymore. And it really struck me because that room, that street, the city is so crowded with the ghosts of people who who we've lost all the time now. I always feel them around. Yeah, I was... Um, people die and we cover, we cover it on the show and it's sad. And I've been sad while doing this job, but like... I don't know, man. Like, I just have to think of that as political rhetoric. I have to try to convince myself that's just something Laura's saying to make a point that the media can hear and will be powerful. Because, like, you know, it's just like there's certain things that you just know, like, you you don't have professional distance from. Like, you wouldn't be able to handle properly. And she's describing something I, I just, I won't be able to handle. If she's right and it's a when... I won't be able to handle that. But I mean, Sam, we, we have to reckon with this, right? Like, Laura has overdosed eight times in the time we've been making this show. I was there one time. Martin's been there. Other people have been there to to um, do the resuscitation, you know? And like going around the editorial board, everybody has overdosed. I have overdosed years ago. It's just like she's she's kind of right that it's like a numbers game, right? Sharice Kiwatton was on our editorial board and Sharice Kiwatton and me and Laura went to the previous minister, the previous addiction minister, and we begged her to please help us fix the methadone situation. The methadone situation that was fucking up uh, Sharice and Laura's lives. And, and, you know, Laura said, and Sharice said the same sort of thing to her. This is going to take lives here. And the minister said, oh, yeah, it was great to meet with you. Yeah, we'll get right on that. And they didn't do anything. And Sharice died. And how will I ever forgive that minister, that predecessor? You know, how can you ever, how can I ever let go of the fucking, the, just the resent? How can I ever let go of that desire for fucking to square this somehow like i can't i can't do it because they're just doing it again they're just smiling in our faces and at the exact same time laura's saying no i could die and it's just like i can't i can't take them doing that again you know like i'll never i'll never fucking forgive these people for what they've took from us i never fucking forgive them (laughs) there's fireworks going off outside of my house now (laughs) Nick D. Nick D. Come on up, Nick. Nick D. Please, Nick D. Um, uh, speaks, and then people people line up, and everyone's name is called. Who's who's on this list? So everyone's name is called, and and people are you know going through the line. They come to the table, and there's Brian, and he's got you know in front of him you know, like 25 boxes of Coke and 25 boxes of meth and 25 boxes of heroin. And he's asking people what they want and calling the next name. And everyone's just like having a nice time and bullshitting with each other and saying hi and shaking hands, fist bumping, you know, like it's just, 
It's just nice. Oh, I haven't got Gigi before. That's pretty nice, though. My first ever nickname was Barth, because my sister couldn't say Garth, the hard G, so she would just... Hey, Saul, I think you're getting that. I thought it was my turn. It is your turn. I said Garth. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know if this has a member. I think we should like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heroin, 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 heroin. No cocaine. How how were you feeling about the about the day kind of um, as this as this action was wrapping up? So it's you know it's just like it's a sad day, right? And we had so we've had so many sad days around Vandu and around the podcast uh, uh, where people die or bad news comes. And the only way I know to make it feel better is to feel it together. And so just being with these people who are my friends, um, you know, uh, like this was this was this was all right. That's that's what we did. And I just I love us for that. I love us for um, being in such desperate times and finding this care for each other. Luckily, I do think that, I mean, everybody involved in Crackdown worked their asses off this week. Um, and all the activists worked their asses off and it did lead, I think, to some, some attention by the mainstream media. And Garth, maybe you could talk a little bit about on the, the more this morning, uh, when we're recording this, not necessarily when it's released on, on Thursday, you were asked by, um, Stephen Quinn of CBC's early edition to uh, make some comments, right? Um, we spoke with Garth Mullins on the program. Uh, you know him as a drug user advocate. He is also the, the host of a, a podcast called Crackdown. And I asked him, knowing that you were going to be with us uh, this morning, I asked him what he would have to say to you. And here's what he told us. I mean, we're calling for the resignation of the Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. 2,224 deaths on your watch in a year. That is a report card with a big F on it. You know, if Minister Bev Oda under the Harper government is called on to um, resign over a $16 glass of orange juice, certainly 2,224 deaths in one year would merit someone getting fired or someone resigning. But yesterday they had a press conference where they were just kind of proud of their progress. It was it was bizarre to watch. Minister, your response? Yeah, I heard the interview and and and. I, I get the uh, the heartbreak and the disappointment in people on the ground. I, I get it. And, and I'm grateful for Garth's advocacy. And he was one of the people that helped us build our decriminalization application or able to work constructively in, in ways. You know, um, tell me how me resigning will save a life. If we don't force you to resign, when's anyone going to take this seriously? If there are never any consequences to anyone's career, if there's never any political consequences, how will any of you lot find courage? If we force resignations, maybe people will start to take this shit seriously, right? We have to speak in the language of government, in the language of political power. So if we can muster the forces to compel resignations, 
um, maybe they start to get up in the morning with more of a sense of mission about this stuff. But it, I, I just think not like having 2,224 people die on your watch and not taking any accountability for it. It's it's a shocking disconnect. It's it's like, do you even go here? Like, what's happening? Yeah. Um, to end things here, we've said a lot of critical things about Minister Malcolmson. We've said some critical things about Minister Dix. Um, we would have been happy to air their side of the conversation, but neither at the time of broadcast made themselves available to us. Um, we've asked Minister Malcolmson's team um, if the reason why they didn't take our question in the press conference and they didn't make themselves available to an interview is because they are worried that crackdown would be antagonistic to them or ask them difficult questions. And at the time of broadcast, they haven't responded to that question. Um, so that's where we leave it, I think. We leave it with, we got a question on Stephen Quinn's show. Uh, you attended an event that showed what was possible and what is good and brave about the world we live in. And... Um, and the status quo marches on, I think. So we'll keep covering it on the show. Crackdown is produced on Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh territories. If you like what we do, please consider donating at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Fress, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Laura Shaver, Raya Jean, and rest in peace, Dave Murray and Cherise Kiwatton. This episode was conceptualized, written, and produced by Sam Fenn, Alexander Kim, Alex DeBoer, Ryan McNeil, Lisa Hale, and me, Garth Mullins. Sound design by Alexander Kim. Original score was written and performed by James Ash, Sam Fenn, and myself. Thanks to the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and the Canadian Institutes of Health Research for funding support. Stay safe and keep six.